When the Roses Bloom Again by Lee McCusker Read by Sam Gabriel Based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 62 A Spy in Our Midst Where the hell have you been? Charles's tone was laced with relief. But Harry was under no illusion that he was being chastised also, his absence having stretched longer than he had anticipated. With a shake of his head, he took a seat at the desk in the room they shared and released a deep breath. Later, he sighed tiredly. Any reason why she's sleeping in my bed? He nodded towards the slumbering Summerbee, who had evidently returned whilst he had been away. She's certain she's found the spy. Looks as though your little display was good for something. Who? Harry asked curiously. Fontaine. Harry frowned at the revelation, but his involvement made sense. Some of the information that had been knowingly passed on were things made only known to the commanders, and if his French counterpart shared a similar relationship to Fontaine as Harry did Charles, he would have told the man all he knew. It still didn't explain, however, how it had come to be known that he and Charles had left to fetch Summerby. Was there another spy? Or was it possible that someone had unwittingly let Fontaine know as a friend, not understanding the potential fallout from saying too much? Harry knew not, but it was something he would need to investigate. This won't go down well, he murmured. We'll have to bring him in quietly and without provoking a fight. Charles nodded his agreement. When? he asked. That was the pertinent question. Did Harry leave him in place, and use the man to pass on more false information? No, that wouldn't do. It was risky, and he was loath to have the spy amongst them any longer than necessary. But without firm evidence, he couldn't just simply apprehend the man. Fontaine would need to be caught in the act. We leave him for now, Harry decided. But only very briefly. We'll have him in less than a few days. Charles nodded his understanding. How was Bulgaria? he whispered his gaze shifting to the lightly snoring woman. Harry released a deep breath as he shook his head. I didn't go to Bulgaria, he revealed. Then where did you go? Charles asked confusedly, a light frown creasing his brow. Czechoslovakia, Harry informed his friend. Bulgaria would have presented too much a risk to try after the stupid cow got herself caught there already. So I went elsewhere. I was successful. Charles offered Harry a sympathetic smile. Any injuries? Harry shook his head. A few cuts and bruises, but they weren't expecting anything. They felt safe and they got complacent. I doubt that will happen again. Charles nodded his understanding. What about Fox and her group? He asked. What about them? Charles snorted amusedly. You're not going to save them? Even if I could, I'm not inclined to, Harry sighed. And I'm certainly not going to risk my life for someone that wouldn't do the same for me. I take risks, he admitted. But the calculated. I wouldn't even know where to begin looking for them, and even attempting to find out is too dangerous, let alone freeing them from whatever prison Grindelwald has them in. Does it make me a bad person for agreeing with you? Harry chuckled as he shook his head. No, it makes you a realistic one. As much as people would like to think, I can't save everyone, Charles, and trying to do so will only get me killed. If I died fighting Grindelwald, I could accept that, but dying just to get one over on him would be stupid. So what was Czechoslovakia about? A reminder to him and his men that they are not as invincible as they seem to believe, 
Harry answered honestly. We're not winning this war right now, Charles, and Grindelwald knows it. We're barely keeping his forces at bay, and that won't last forever. Something has to give, and I have a feeling it will happen sooner than we would like. You think we will lose this position? Harry shrugged. Either here, or he'll manage to take one of the others in the south. We're no safer than his men, and it's only a matter of time before he decides that we have hindered him long enough and attacks from both sides. His men still outnumber ours considerably, and we can't fight on two fronts. Bloody hell, Charles murmured. What will we do? Whatever we can, but it won't be enough. Our best option would be to take the fight to him, but we risk losing valuable fighters that way. Either that, or we keep taking our heels in until we can stop his advance indefinitely. We'll be here forever. Exactly, Harry agreed, and neither side will settle for that. Sooner or later, one side will have to make a decision on how to proceed, and the only outcome will be more fighting and more death. Charles released a deep sigh. Well, you've brightened my day, he chuckled. But I'm glad you made it back. He's back? A sleepy voice questioned from Harry's bed. He has been for some time now, Charles explained. You must have been tired. Summerby nodded as she yawned once more, wiping the sleep from her eyes before she looked towards Harry. Not as tired as I am, she mocked. How was your trip? It could have been worse, Harry replied. I'm still alive, at least. And not injured badly, Charles pointed out with a grin. Good, Eleanor declared as she stood. Did you tell him? Charles nodded. It will be dealt with soon, he assured the woman. And Bulgaria? Harry shook his head. I didn't go to Bulgaria. Oh, Eleanor said sadly. I thought... Harry took pity on the woman, offering her a look of sympathy. I will free your home from him, he assured her. But for now it was too dangerous. So what do I do? she asked. I can't go back, can I? I wouldn't recommend it, Harry sighed. He'll be crawling with his men for some time. I can see about sending you somewhere else if you'd like. But Brea would agree to it. Won't he want her back in prison? I'm not going back there, Eleanor said firmly. Harry snorted amusedly. I promised you you'd have your freedom. I'll see what can be done, but for now I really need to get some sleep. Charles, you're in charge. Bloody great, Charles huffed. Why don't you just give me that armband of yours? If you want it, take it, Harry laughed. No thanks. Charles grumbled. I wouldn't want to look upon around ya. The Potter Lord took his leave of the room, his head shaking, and Harry grinned at his friend before turning back towards Summerby. Just let me know what you'd like, he requested. I'll see what can be done. Eleanor offered him a sad smile, but nodded nonetheless. I will, she assured him, giving his shoulder a grateful squeeze. Sleep well. I will guard you with my life, she added with a wink. There's some comforting words, Harry snorted. With Charles filling in for him a little longer, Harry climbed into bed for some much-needed rest. It had been a long twenty-four hours, and he already knew that when he woke, things would only become busier as the world learned of what he had done. Gellert proudly watched the flurry of activity occurring in the grounds below. His followers were loyal to a fault, rushing around to carry out his orders, none needing to question them. Those chosen to be sent to Bulgaria to await the impending attack had left hours ago minus Hans, who remained behind to ensure everything they would need to withstand the onslaught of Evans was being provided. 
Five hundred good men with the forces already assembled would be sufficient, and with Gelert, Cassiopeia, and Hans there with them, their victory was all but assured. How are things proceeding, Hans? he asked as the enormous man joined him in the study. Valkalat, Gertie replied. I've sent for twenty of our best healers to attend also. But Evans, there'll be injuries. Gellert nodded his approval. As much as he would like the confrontation to be without loss, it was unlikely. If Evans was indeed coming to fight to the end, he would take many with him. Not even Gellert could prevent that. Good, he declared. Do you not think we are investing a lot into this? Hans asked, his tone laced with concern. Evans is just one man. Gellert shook his head as he chuckled. Commander Evans is not just a man, Hans, he disagreed. He is rather like me in many ways. He's gifted and powerful, more so than you would believe. When we meet on the battlefield without interruption, the world will watch in awe at our prowess. They will tremble. A jewel that will go down in history, never to be forgotten. Do not underestimate him, my friend. It will be a mistake on your part. Gautier nodded. I would bear that in mind when I face him, he replied with a grin. I would not be so keen to meet him on the battlefield, Hans, Gilbert sighed. You're a strong wizard in your own right, but would you wish to face me? Hans swallowed deeply as he shook his head. No, I wouldn't, he answered honestly. If that day was to come, I would ensure my affairs were in order. I have no doubt that I would finally be bested. And that is how you should view a fight with Commander Evans, Gilbert urged. At his young age, he is dangerous, and will become only more so, with the more experience he gains. You believe him to be so dangerous? Gilbert nodded severely. I know of only one other who could hope to stand against me in such a way, and he lacks the ruthlessness and spine that Commander Evans does not. What about this serpent? Gilbert's nostrils flared at the mention of the elusive man. When we fought last, he would have fallen. Of that I have no doubt, he murmured. No, the serpent has proven himself to be a coward, an irritant that dares only strike from the shadows, as is the nature of the beast his moniker was born from. One day, Hans, he will make a mistake, and I will claim his head also. Gautier grinned at the thought, though he frowned as a frantic knocking sounded at the door. Yes, Gilbert called impatiently. It was a rather flustered vapor that entered, and Gillard's demeanor shifted to one of concern at his spy's expression. What is it? he asked. They may have a problem. Have a problem? Gillard returned irritably. Thaber nodded. We have not received a report from Prague in almost twenty-four hours, he explained. Gillard's eyes narrowed. How often are we being updated there? Every six hours. Gillard clenched his teeth irritably. Why is this only now being brought to my attention? He snapped. Because we are unable to make contact, Faber explained. It has happened before their check-ins have been late, but not this long. Gilbert huffed irritably as he fetched his cloak. Whoever is in charge, they will no longer be so, he declared. They have become very lax of late. It is unacceptable. Hans, you will join me and Herr Weber. Gautier nodded and accepted the pork key that was offered to him. Only a moment later they arrived just inside the magical district of Prague, and a shrill alarm began blaring throughout the streets. 
What a racket, Gilbert grumbled, drawing his wand and silencing the noise. The defenses have been activated, he mused aloud, his grip tightening on his wand. Keep your wits about you. Something is not right. With Weber and Gautier in tow, he edged ever closer to the center of the magical district, the silence the trio were met with nothing less than unnerving. There is everyone, Hans asked impatiently. The man received his answer as they rounded the corner, and he became immediately skittish, turning to look in every direction as though he was expecting to be attacked from all sides. Gillett knew better. There was no one here to carry out such an act, but the damage had already been done. Strewn across the street were the bodies of his followers, smears of blood, and even scorch marks. What had happened here wasn't clear, but the symbol that burned brightly in the early morning was all the explanation Gellert needed. The serpent. The man had been inactive for several weeks now, the reason for his silence now apparent. Gellert growled in fury, and sparks crackled as they shot from the end of the Elder Wand. It would have been too much to hope the last remaining hip wizard would have been killed in the interim or suffered a mishap that would leave him unable to play any further part in the war. The thought of either happening brought a grin to Gellert's lips, one that faded quickly as he surveyed the damage around him. How many men were stationed here? he answered soberly. Seventy-three, Hans replied. Only seventy-three? Hans nodded. They confiscated their wands and locked up the troublemakers, he explained. We did not anticipate any trouble. Gillant shook his head irritably. It was a foolish idea to leave so few, he mused aloud. Speaking of which worthy citizens, Hans could only shrug. Might I turn your attention to the entrance to the ministry? Faber broke in. Stuck to the door was a piece of parchment, and as Gillard approached, he held up a hand to prevent Hans and the sleuth from following, the feeling of threatening magic growing stronger the closer he got. Checking that nothing untoward would happen imminently, he frowned as he removed the brief note from the door, the words written angering him almost as much as discovering the corpses of his men. He came in the night and set us free. Long live the serpent. The Czechoslovakian citizens had activated the defenses, taken the time to write the note, and left. And with that, Gilbert's control over one of his dominions had gone. He balled up the parchment in anger and threw it to the ground. What good was holding a country that had no one to liberate, no one to follow him? With a shake of his head, he turned his attention back to the door and the magic radiating from it. Most of it was old, designed to prevent any from entering, but there was something new lurking under the surface the same mix of hot and cold magic he'd felt the night he and the serpent had fought in the cave. If somehow the primary defenses were breached, a reaction would be triggered, one that would see the death of the intruders. Clever, Gillert murmured. Were he so inclined to, he could undo the magic, but it would take considerable effort on his part, and there would be no reward at the end. The men and women that resided here had abandoned their country in favor of what they deemed to be safety, but they were far from it. Once the deadlock on the front had been broken, Gillert and his forces would sweep across the remaining countries of Europe and then beyond. None who would oppose him were safe. It was merely a matter of time before they realized it. Weber, reach out to your spice, he commanded. I want to be informed of every development within the ICW forces, no matter how trivial it seems. Weber nodded. What of the serpent? Gillert snorted. 
All investigations into the man had borne no fruit. One would have better luck attempting to catch the wind. His luck will run out, he replied. One day he will slip up, and when he does, I'll be waiting for him. The late afternoon found Harry seated behind his desk, sorting through the various missives that had been delivered in his absence. None had been marked as important, so Charles had left them for him. As expected, there was nothing pressing he needed to do other than fill in requisition forms for supplies, and as far as Harry was aware, his group wanted for little. Evans, Summerby called from where she was once more sitting on Harry's bed, this time reading one of his books on dueling. This Frenchman, Fontaine, Eleanor nodded. When he was sending his message, he mentioned a name. It might be nothing, but probably worth questioning him about. What name? Harry asked with a frown. Weber. His frown deepened. German? Austrian, Summerby pointed out. Harry nodded his understanding. Neither really bodes well, he sighed. I'll ask him. Have you thought about what it is you want to do next? Eleanor shook her head. I need to get a wand. I'll take it tomorrow, Harry promised. I'm sure we can find a suitable one in Paris. The woman offered him a grateful smile. Other than that, I'm not sure what to do. Could I have a few more days to think? Harry released a deep breath. Although he certainly wasn't entertaining Summerby the same way the French commander had been the women visiting him, he couldn't help but feel like a hypocrite, even if he wasn't risking the security of the men. Only a few days, he said firmly. Summerby's smile brightened, then she returned to reading the book contentedly. With her problem solved temporarily, Harry turned his attention back to his own work, pleased that he had only one letter left to read. It was a note from the Spanish commander asking Harry to politely remind the men in his group of their guard duties. You'll want to talk, Harry muttered as he threw the note into the fire. Also, Well, that's not a very polite way to greet someone, Charles snorted as he entered, holding up an envelope and sporting a smug grin. From the top brass. Harry shook his hand as he snatched the letter from his friend and broke the seal of the supreme mugwump. Commander Evans? I request that you meet with me at your earliest convenience. This letter will function as your port key when a drop of your blood is added. Pierre Abreu, Supreme Mugwump of the International Confederation of Warlocks. Well, that's a new security measure, Harry mused aloud. We'll be all right for a little while. Ever since you got that armband, I've done the job more than you, Chalice quipped. Go on, I can manage. Harry nodded appreciatively. Grateful that he had someone as dependable as Charles that he could turn to when needed. I'll be as quick as I can, he promised, picking one of the cuts he'd received in Prague and allowing the blood to drip onto the parchment. Traveling by port key was something he did so often now that he barely paid attention to the feeling of being hooked through the navel, nor did he end up in a collapsed heap on the floor. It certainly was nothing like his first trip using the device when he had attended the Quidditch World Cup during the summer before fourth year, how he yearned for his formative years. In comparison to what he faced now, a possessed device against the dark arts professor or fending off a horde of dementors was quite trivial, though if he never had to face a basilisk again it would be too soon. Commando Evans, I thank you for your prompt arrival, Abreu greeted him. Harry found himself in an unfamiliar office, one that evidently belonged to the Supreme Mugwump. The crest of the ICW hung large and proudly behind the man, and the furniture was all made of an expensive wood. Well, your letter seemed urgent. Indeed, Abreu said gravely. 
Liz de Gassit. Harry did so, and the man stared at him speculatively for a moment before speaking once more. I was hoping for a progress report on this spy business, he requested. It is quite unsettling and dangerous that we have one among us. It is, Harry agreed. And Miss Summerby has identified him. She has? Abreu asked, surprised. Harry nodded. She came to me yesterday having witnessed Fontaine, the French second-in-command, having sent a message after listening in on a conversation I'd had. There are strict rules not to communicate outside the trenches without the use of an approved owl, or via an appointed messenger in the trenches. And this has led you to believe he is a spy? Abraham questioned, evidently not wanting to believe a man from his own country was responsible. Fontaine is a respected man in France. He is also a spy, Harry said confidently. Abrea released a sigh as he shook his head. How do you intend to proceed? Well, I need to catch him in the act, preferably, Harry answered, scratching his chin thoughtfully. Then I will interview him. Would you be willing to provide Veritaserum? It's not a necessity, but it would save the hassle of tearing into his mind. I am not a trained legitimans, but I could get what I need to from him. Abrea winced at the thought and shook his head. No, that won't be necessary. I will provide this serum for you. Harry nodded gratefully. He'd never cast the Legilimens spell and didn't think it best to do so on someone when he wasn't sure what he was doing. He'd gotten an exceptionally good instinctive grasp on being able to tell if he was being lied to, but he hadn't delved into the art any further, not consciously at least. Often, when he met the gaze of another, he got glimpses of what they were thinking or feeling in that moment, but it was not intentional on his part. You look as tired as I feel he observed lightly, eliciting a chuckle from the supreme mugwump. "'My position is not an enviable one,' the man replied with a shake of his head. "'Only this morning I was rudely awoken and had the need to call an emergency meeting of the ICW.' "'An emergency meeting?' Abreu nodded. "'I'm unsure of all the facts at present, but it appears the entire magical population of Czechoslovakia has left their country.' Many have already arrived in Spain, France, and other places seeking refuge, he explained. I spoke to a few who claim that the serpent set them free after killing all of Grindelwald's men. The serpent? Abraham nodded. They're all but worshipping him, he replied with a grin. He is their hero, and if what I have been told is true, I can't find fault in it. Between you and him, people believe we have a chance at winning this war. Me and him? Harry asked. Abreu shook his head. Your modesty is admirable, Commander Evans, but your name and his are the ones on people's lips, he explained. Wherever I go, they are the names I hear spoken so fondly. You have a very bright future ahead of you. If I survive and if we win, Harry pointed out. Yes, Abreu said soberly. If. He fell silent for a moment, as though contemplating what the cost of either victory or defeat would be, before he shook himself from his reverie. My job may be difficult, but I cannot imagine what you and the rest of the men are enduring. We manage, Harry assured him. I'm pleased to hear it, and though I am most unhappy to hear of Fontaine's defection, I'm sure you will handle the situation admirably. What would you have me do with him? Abreu released a deep, labored breath. If he is a traitor, his words trailed off uncertainly. I think we only have two choices. Two, Abreu asked curiously. 
Harry nodded solemnly. We can execute him. That is what most will demand. Or we could send him to a prison that will ensure that his sentence is carried out in an unpleasant manner. I suppose you have a suggestion, Abreu snorted humorously. Azkaban. Abreu swallowed deeply. It would be kind that they'll execute him. Probably, Harry agreed. But then his death would not be on your conscience. If Fontaine is passing information willingly, he already has the blood of many on his hands. You're allowing your own morals to be the judge of his. But we are also not the enemy. We do not want to start a trend of executing prisoners, not when Grindelwald has so many of his own. Abreu nodded. We did not, he agreed. Then there is no need to burden yourself with those thoughts, Harry pointed out. Leave the killing to us on the battlefield and be a better man than Grindelwald. Abreu offered him a grateful smile. I am no warrior, Commander Evans. No, and I am hoping that you never have to be, Harry replied. Maybe we should wait until we know all the facts before deciding his fate. I think that would be sensible, but that would have the truth of his deception. Abreu demanded. Do what you must, Commander, and we will drag him before the ICW to answer for his crimes. Of course, Harry agreed as he stood and headed towards the door. What of Miss Summerby? Abreu questioned. I do not think it best that she remains in the trenches for her own safety. I've given her a few days to decide what she wishes to do, Harry explained. She lives in Bulgaria and cannot return home. I see, Abreu mused aloud. I have agreed that I will take her to purchase a new wand tomorrow, and then further arrangements must be made. She will not be sent back to prison. I gave her my word that she would be freed, and I have every intention of keeping it. Abreu shook his head as he grinned. I think for the work she has done, a discreet pardon can be granted. In the times we face, it is unlikely that any will bother with someone whose victims were the goblins. However, I would urge her to stay clear of banks and any country she operated in. I will pass on the message. Thank you, Abreu said with a slight bow. Now I only need to mitigate the fallout that will come when the media learns of what happened in Prague. Do they need to know? Abreu laughed heartily. The Czechoslovakians are practically queuing outside the offices to the newspapers to tell their stories. One man I spoke to even had some quite excellent photos to prove his world. I give it less than a day before the serpent becomes the talk of the people across the continent once more. Harry felt his stomach sink. It would have been too much to ask that such an act he'd carried out would go unnoticed or unreported. I'll more fool him for doing it, Harry chuckled, the amusement he displayed fading the moment he left the office. Bloody hell, he cursed to himself. Why is it always me? It seemed that no matter where he went or what he did, he would somehow make the headlines, even when he was trying to be someone else. Not that he was. It had been easy to separate the serpent and himself as two separate people whilst working as a hit wizard, but officially there was no place for the former in the world anymore. So why was Harry still using the moniker? As much as he had managed to separate the two, there was no denying that Harry Evans and the serpent were slowly becoming one— and with how the war was progressing, and the determination Grindelwald expressed to see the end to both, it was only a matter of time before the truth came out. Harry, though he wished to deny it, couldn't. His anonymity would not last forever, and then he would have to face the demons of both of the men that he was. The Serpent. 
He was the talk of the castle this evening, and Tom narrowed his eyes as he pushed his food around his plate irritably. The way the other students spoke of the mysterious wizard was as though the man was a god, that he was invincible. The awe in their voices angered him. The serpent wasn't a god, and wouldn't even compare to the wizard that Tom would one day be. And yet his housemates looked down on him. For now. He grinned as he envisioned how the world would one day speak his name, not too dissimilar to how they talked of the serpent, but with Tom it would be in fear. Fear to the young Slytherin was much more enticing than being a hero, but it could not be so simple. No, he needed to be a hero to some and feared by the masses. And as his gaze swept up and down the length of his house table, an idea hit him. Why could he not have everyone fear him, yet still be a hero to some? He nodded thoughtfully as he tucked into his meal, ignoring the ridiculous tales of the serpent offered by his housemates. I heard that he Salazar Slytherin come back from the dead to kill Grindelwald, one whispered. We've all had that, Avery, Selwyn huffed. Do you think it's true that he can just kill you by looking into your eyes? Don't be so bloody stupid, Rosier chastised. Well, what do you think? Selwyn fired back. Rosier shook his head. I don't know, he murmured. I'm just glad he's on our side. Imagine going up against him, even if the rumors have been exaggerated. Those around the seventh years fell silent, and Tom took his leave from the table, glancing briefly towards Dumbledore, who was in deep conversation with McGonagall. Knowing they would be occupied for some time, he hurried towards the astronomy tower in the hopes of seeing Helena, only to find that she wasn't there this evening. He didn't know if the ghost had been avoiding him since their first meeting, but he had not seen her around the castle the past few days. With a frown, he headed back towards the dungeons, once more irritated but keeping his anger in check. He couldn't alienate the woman against him, not until she had yielded anything useful she had. Entering the common room, he spotted Rosie and the rest of his ilk gathered around the fire as they often did in the evenings. With a smirk tugging at his lips, Tom headed towards them. I think you will find you're in my seat. Rosie looked up at him and swallowed deeply, nodding before he stood and moved to another further away from the warmth of the fire. Tom took the seat the older boy had been occupying, but none of the others moved, each of them staring at him questioningly. What is it? he asked. It was Avery that spoke, after glancing around the room to ensure none were attempting to listen in on them. We just thought, Tom, is it possible that you're related to the serpent? he asked quietly. With you being a you know. Tom frowned at the question. He had considered the possibility himself, but had concluded that he didn't care if the man was kin. He was nothing to Tom, who had been abandoned in an orphanage and left to rot by whatever family he did have. He shrugged dismissively. Maybe he is in some way, he conceded. But it doesn't matter. I will have a family that I choose for myself, not one I am tied to by blood. Choose yourself? Rosier questioned curiously. Tom nodded. One that will look to me to lead them through the challenging times ahead, he said simply. What? You didn't think this war with Grindelford would be the end? Rosier frowned. I've no idea of what you're insinuating. I'm insinuating nothing, Tom denied. It is already happening around us. What is? Selwyn broke in confusedly. Tom snorted as he shook his head and stood. 
"'Nothing,' he replied. "'If you cannot see it for yourselves, then who am I to point it out to you?' "'No, wait,' Rosier demanded. "'What do you mean?' Chum released a labored breath and took his seat once more, pondering his next words closely. "'Take a look around when you're wandering through the school,' he urged. "'See how many students have the same color robes as you. "'Maybe then it will make sense.' What will? Selwyn pressed. He means how outnumbered we are, Rosier answered. Tom nodded. Not just in Hogwarts, I imagine, he said pointedly. How many purebloods there are compared to half-bloods and muggle-borns? Rosier narrowed his eyes, but the others seemed quite alarmed by the observation. What are you getting at? Nothing, Tom replied innocently. It was just an observation. I was just wondering what would happen when they realize they have the power, if they want to make changes in our world. Changes? Rosier questioned. Well, it isn't exactly a secret that the Wizengamot is comprised of the lords of the pure-blood families and that any job in the Ministry that holds any power is filled by purebloods. The lords and ladies run the country, and ensure the law is always in favour of their own kind. What happens when the rest realise that, and decide that it must be changed by any means necessary? Rosier shook his head. They wouldn't dare. Are they not already doing that in their own world? Tom inquired. Is that not part of the reason we're at war? It will happen, and the longer any waits to take steps to prevent it from doing so, the more difficult it will be to stop. Already the task is nearing that impossibility. Enjoy the rest of your evening, gentlemen. He offered his parting words as he stood and headed towards his room, another grin tugging at his lips. For all Tom knew, what he said had been the truth. Any fool could look around Wizarding Britain and see that what he'd mentioned could one day be a possibility. Not that he cared about what happened to any other, but sowing the seeds of doubt and dislike could one day serve him on his own journey to having the world speak of him the same way they did the Serpent or Harry Evans. The second of the names elicited a growl from the teen. Tom would never forget that Evans had tried to kill him and would avenge that slight against him in the future. Evans would not get away with it, and though Tom knew he should be wary of the man proving himself to be such a dangerous foe, he had no doubt that he would one day surpass the man. When that day arrived, Evans would die, and Tom would have the last laugh. He always did when it came to those he saw as enemies, and that wouldn't change with Evans, nor any other that got his way. Special delivery, Charles said cheerily as he handed Harry yet another missive from the ICW headquarters. Good, Harry sighed as he tore the envelope open, revealing a small phial of clear liquid and sheet of parchment that he pocketed. What is that? Summerby asked from her seat at the desk where she was inspecting her newly acquired wand. Veritaserum, Harry explained, holding the potion up to the light. Is Fontaine guarding tonight? Charles nodded. I passed his group on the way here. Then let's not waste any more time, Harry decided. Let's bring him in whilst it's quiet. You wait here, 
he added to Summerby. Charles followed as Harry left the room into the almost empty trenches, where only those on guard duty were dotted around in their groups. So it looks as though the attack is being cancelled, Harry explained quietly, shaking his head. Any idea why? Charles asked, playing along. From what I could gather, the ICW doesn't think it's worth the risk to enter Bulgaria. They're more interested in capitalizing on what the Serpent did in Czechoslovakia. Poland was mentioned, but it won't be tonight we leave. When? Charles questioned. Harry shrugged. Maybe the next week or so, he guessed. Charles snorted as he watched Fontaine's eyes widen in panic, and the man skulked off, shortly followed by Harry when he had rounded the corner. I wouldn't move if I were you, Charles warned the rest of Fontaine's group with his wand drawn as they looked on worriedly, some of whom seemed keen to see what was happening. Harry returned a moment later, dragging the unconscious second-in-command in his wake, and the other Frenchman began to protest. Unless you want yourself holed in front of the ICW, you will keep your noses out, Harry warned. The French evidently knew better than to antagonize the man, but Charles had no doubt they would be alerting their own commander the moment he and Harry were gone. Once more, Charles followed Harry as he returned to their room where he dumped Fontaine into a chair before tying him to it. Make yourself scarce, he instructed Summerby. We're about to have company. Only a few seconds later, furious knocking sounded at the door, and Harry almost tore it from its hinges as he confronted the French commander who was garbed in a silk dressing gown, an expression of fury marring his features. You will release him immediately, the commander instructed through gritted teeth. Harry simply reached into his robes and removed the same sheet of parchment that had arrived with the potion and handed it to his irate counterpart. That is a signed order from the Supreme Mogwamp himself, giving me permission to conduct my investigation by any means I deem to be necessary, he explained. As you will see if you read the bottom, any that are found to be hindering my work will face charges for perverting the cause of justice. I do hope that you are not doing so. The Frenchman scowled at the document and cursed in his mother tongue. Esabato? I have known this man for many years. Not well enough, Harry replied. Now I suggest you piss off before I am left with little choice than to arrest you along with him. You cannot do that, the commander chuckled darkly. We could always test that theory if you wish. Charles's grip tightened around his wand, but the Frenchman showed no sign that he wished to engage Harry in a physical confrontation. He was quite content to throw his weight around in his official capacity, but he knew better than to draw his wand. This is not the last you have heard of this, the commander warned. I'll be speaking with the Supreme Mogwamp immediately. Harry offered the man no reply but instead slammed the door in his face before casting several charms on it to ensure they would not be disturbed any further. Now where were we? he asked as he removed the file of Veritas serum and administered a dosage to the unconscious man. Harry roused him with a flick of his wrist and Fontaine looked around the room in a confused state. What is your name? Charles could only look on in horror as the man began answering the questions put to him, his level of deception towards his own country and those that opposed Grindelwald coming to light sickening to hear. Fontaine had all but sealed his fate, but Harry was showing no signs that the interrogation was even close to being over. Bulgaria was not a place Gilert had spent much time, and he certainly did not plan to stay any longer than necessary now. The country had fallen swiftly, what seemed to be so long ago, and had been run by those in favor of his own interests since. However, with the recent attempt to sabotage his hold here, and the impending follow-up attack, he was needed to lead his men against the invaders. 
The streets around him hid his forces well, and none that entered Sophia would suspect that they were walking into a trap, not even Commander Evans. "'What is it, Herr Weber?' Killert asked as he felt the man approaching from his left. The German did not look pleased, his steely eyes expressing a rare anger. "'Evans is not coming,' he replied, handing Gillard a sheet of parchment. "'Not coming?' Gillard whispered dangerously. "'Weber?' The attack in Bulgaria has been called off in favor of one in Poland. I will update when I learn more. F. Gellert's jaw tightened as he balled up the piece of parchment and threw it to the ground, his own anger spiking. Be prepared for nothing, he growled. Not nothing, Weber corrected. Poland. We're in Bulgaria, Gellert snapped irritably. It will take days to move the men and supplies there. Weber said nothing else, and Gellert paced back and forth for a moment. There's nothing for it, he decided. We must be ready for his arrival. So we move to Poland? What choice do we have, Weber? Gellert sighed. For now it seems that we are left chasing our own tails, inform Hans, and to begin the preparations. When his instructions were given, Gellert stalked away, cursing the ICW, cursing the serpent, and cursing Harry Evans. He despised all three with a passion, and the sooner he was rid of them, the better. He smiled at the thought of a world free of the trio, calming himself as he was reminded that it was him who held the advantage, a bigger army, and more options with how to proceed. The ICW could do what they wished, but it wouldn't be enough to stop him. With his men at the front protected by the work he and Evans had carried out, there was no reason to delay the fighting. An increase in intensity was needed, and just when the ICW forces thought things could get no worse for them, Gillett would strike harder tripling their defenses. Indeed, the time had come that a war of attrition was no longer acceptable. The fighting would resume, and Gillert would overwhelm the men of the ICW until they had no option but to quit. For more than an hour now, Harry had questioned Fontaine, and the man had given him every answer he'd been looking for. Now all that remained was two final inquiries, one that would shape how he would proceed with this matter, and another that would likely open another door entirely, one that Harry had no desire to step through. Do you know of any others within the ICW trenches who are working for Grindelwald? No, Fontaine answered. Harry shook his head, feeling little relief that there appeared to be no others as far as Fontaine was aware. Still, the damage the man had done was undeniable. Being second in command had ensured he was made privy to information the ICW would prefer Grindelwald not to have learned, but it wasn't only his position that allowed such. He had taken the time to befriend men from other groups, and they had been quite free with the things they knew, their tongues loosened under the guise of comradeship and alcohol in some cases. Fontaine had learned of Harry and Charles's absence from the trenches when they had retrieved Summerby through Gilbert, the drunken fool having given up the information. Harry checked to ensure the man was still under the influence of the Veritas serum before accepting the words spoken as truth. Who is Weber? Fontaine froze as he stared expressionlessly at Harry for a moment, seemingly trying to resist the effects of the potion he'd ingested, so much so that his face turned a shade of puce Harry had only ever seen in Vernon Dursley. Who is Weber? Fontaine lost the fight against the potion and breathed heavily within his bindings, hunched forward as he gasped for air. He works for Grindelwald, he wheezed. That is where he gets his information from. Information, Harry pressed. Fontaine nodded. 
He has spies all over the world that feed him information they think he will find useful. He passes it on and is one of Grindelwald's most useful assets. Where can I find him? Fontaine looked up at him, his eyes alight with amusement. You do not find Weber, he finds you. The man began to laugh hysterically, as though he'd just been told the funniest joke he'd ever heard. I'll find him, Harry muttered to himself. Where is he? Fontaine composed himself after a moment before he shrugged. No one knows. Harry narrowed his eyes at the man. How'd you contact him? With a messenger spell he taught me when I was recruited. You can't trick this spell. He will know who it is from, and if any message is genuine... It's not worth risking, Chandler said tiredly. If he's arranged, then we will just alert him. Harry nodded at his agreement. Fine, I'll see what I can come up with, he sighed. Someone would know something. He just needed to look in the right places. But where? How is someone recruited? He asked Fontaine. The man shook his head. It's like I said. Neighbor finds you, if he thinks you will be useful to him. And what do you get in return? Gold, usually, Fontaine answered. Sometimes gifts will arrive from him. Or he may even give tips on who to bet on in sporting competitions. When he does that, you place a big bet because he is never wrong. What competitions? Dueling and quizzes mostly. Harry hummed thoughtfully. He didn't know how that could help him in his quandary, but it was a start. Regardless of whatever steps he took, it was vital that Weber was silenced. Knowledge truly was power in war, and the man had already proven a master at obtaining it to the advantage of the enemy. I'll take him in now, Harry sighed, nodding towards Fontaine. What about this Weber bloke? Charles asked worriedly. I don't know, Harry huffed, but I will figure it out. He needs to be dealt with sooner rather than later. Charles nodded his agreement, and as Harry secured the ropes around Fontaine before stunning him once more, he felt another burden weigh heavily on his shoulders. His focus should be on fighting Grindelwald, but what good was that when the man held such a dangerous advantage over them? He shook his head irritably. The disadvantages of the ICW forces were plenty, and with no apparent prospect of receiving more men and spies passing on vital information, it was a wonder they had not been steamrolled yet. Not that Harry would allow that to happen without a fight. Still, he could not help but feel that they were facing off almost insurmountable odds. And the moment Grindelwald decided his patience had run out, the consequences for the men Harry was leading would be dire. For this and other stories by the same author, visit leemacusker.com, as well as the fanfiction.net page of The Black's Resurgence. Music by Dr. James Benigoff and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.